Diversity Connects Us. This podcast highlights lived experiences and inspirational stories of strength and tenacity. We will share profound and courageous dialogues that influence diversity, equity, and inclusion by breaking the barriers and labels of stereotypes, confronting biases, and offering best practices to achieve a more significant, cultural, and emotionally intelligent mindset. Have you ever wondered how hip-hop began? In today's conversation, we want you to know why the narratives of hip-hop are continually perpetuated. I watched Caffrey's TED Talk. He mentions that three companies own 90% of our culture and 75% of hip-hop is bought by white men. Caffrey will unpack this. We are so excited to have you here today. This conversation is going to cause us to change our view and ways of thinking on hip-hop. I'm looking forward to you all meeting my guest and my co-host today. We value your feedback and opinions. Please drop them in the chat. We intend to respond to as many as possible. Your comments are dear to us. This takes a great deal of effort to pull off, and so I'm eternally grateful to all my guests. Every week, we create new content, and we look forward to you subscribing to our YouTube channel and to keep up with us. My name is Rochelle Carrier, and I'm a DEI consultant and authoress of Emotional Intelligence, a toolkit for managing DEI in the workplace. The link to purchase the ebook will be in the comments. And for a living, I help thought-provoking leaders implement DEI plans and reframe their mindsets through provoking workshops and webinars. Join us as we continue to share the different voices in the DEI space. Today, we welcome my co-host, Tammy Triolo, and Caffrey J, and we will let them uniquely introduce themselves. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Tammy and Caffrey. Tammy, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Tammy Triolo. I am the founder of PCQ Consulting, and what I do is help companies create amazing cultures, and I also help them with DEI strategies. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for letting me be your co-host today. Oh, it's so wonderful to always have you. And Caffrey, if you can introduce yourself in your unique way to the audience. Yes, yes, I'd be honored. Thank you so much for having me. Shout out, Tammy. Good to see you again. (laughs) Uh, I'm Caffrey J, founder and executive director of Hip Hop for Change, uh, the nation's largest hip hop education nonprofit. I have dedicated my life to trying to lift my community and my people up. I'm from San Francisco, Hunters Point, spotted there on the tourist map. And I know how uniquely impactful hip hop was on my ascension to becoming an organizer and understanding my inner strength and power. And yeah, I want that for our youth. And I feel like if we do not take back our culture, then how can we support our youth who are of that culture? So that's what I've dedicated my life to. And I'm just happy to be here rocking with y'all. Thank you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. You know, we were talking backstage. I watched your TED Talk, which I loved so much. And right, Tammy, it was really impactful because there's a lot of information that needs to be told so that people are well-informed of how hip-hop began and how it presents itself to others and how important it is for us. So you mentioned in your TED Talk, Caffrey, that you said 
you know what? I'll let you take it away. I'll let you take it away. I got you. Yo, so, I mean, a lot of times people think that hip hop in the media is reflective of the black community's narratives, right? Mm -hmm. And I just throw out, like, no representation of black culture in the media is really on point, and nor has it ever really been. We don't have enough money as a people to dictate how white media depicts us. You know what I'm saying? So when I learned things like three companies own 90% of the depiction of hip hop, the platform, the means of producing it, it makes a lot of sense. You know what I'm saying? When you learn about the audience and the consumer base of hip hop being 75% suburban white males between 18 and 24, we understand instantly and immediately why we only get certain types of imagery of black women when it comes to rapping, right? Because I don't think that suburban white men necessarily want to hear women, you know, black women, especially talking about their lives mattering. But I think the problem is, is that, you know, we have to deal with these stereotypes and this criminalization in every social interaction we're in. That's why I said in my TED talk, you know, talk about the lady grabbing her baby. And I say, I don't eat babies. I'm full. I mean, that happened. I'm in, I'm in New York today. I'm coming down to my hotel room and the door opens and this family, they get ready to walk in. They go, oh, 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 no, no. I said, I don't bite. And then the doors closed. And I kind of wanted to, you know, wait till we got downstairs and be like, hey, sir, you just like that's the vehicle that makes your children afraid of black people. And you got to be very careful about how you enact your bias in front of your children, because you might be racist, but you don't want your kids to be that way. Right. Uh, <laughs> and where does that come from? I think another crazy statistic is that 70 percent of white people in America do not have a single person of color for a friend. Yeah. Let alone like a hood black dude like me. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, that doesn't mean they don't have empowered white opinions any longer. They still have those, but those are informed by media representations. Mm -hmm. so when we look at how young black, brown, you know, kids from urban communities are treated and segregated and criminalized, that vehicle is through mainstream hip hop. And that hurts my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, are you going to cry? Absolutely. <laughs> I need to. I'm a little traumatized. Sometimes it don't happen, but yeah, I could. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And I think uh, you just said something, but I don't know that he doesn't want his child to be racist though. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the reason why racism still is around because it is passed down like family traditions. Right. And so a lot of times white parents aren't explicitly saying to their children, ugly things about black people, but it's in those little acts that they're messaging to them that they're different than Blacks, that they're better than Blacks. And so I just think the vehicle by which white people tell their children we are less than them is not so overt. They're not calling us N-words in the house, some of them, maybe not. They're not doing that, but they're doing it in those little microaggressions that you just talked about, right? It's telling from a very young age, saying the little Black girl on the playground instead of the little girl with the red bows or the pink bows. It's mm. calling out race, even that young. And so I just think, I don't know that he doesn't want his children to be racist. I just think he doesn't want them to be violently racist, but passive racism, I think, still sells and still perpetuates in America. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that in some cases, and, you know, probably he's talked to his kid about racism before and be like, you know, racism is when you feel bad about a whole people and you're like, black people are bad. If we don't get rid of that definition of racism, like I don't, I think that racism yeah. is so thoroughly spread because that's the easy definition yeah. for racist yeah. people. It's like, oh, I don't hate all black people. I don't call them the N word, so I must not be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know my niece she was in a white school and she thought her skin was burnt. That made me cry. Literally broke my heart to see this four or five year old girl. You know what I'm saying? Experiencing this and not understanding why her skin is burnt and what happened to her. 
You know what I'm saying? That broke my heart. And so hopefully that kid will meet some black people, have some black friends, maybe have a black, you know, girlfriend and bring her home and look who's coming to dinner. And then, you know, <laughs> we'll have to get over that stuff. But yeah, I think that the separation and the ease with which racism is passed down. Yeah. You know, I think that's going to be for a while. We don't even have the Supreme Court on our side right now. So I have yeah. Yeah. Right. Mainly for the audience. Do you think that hip hop is segregated? So when we talk about hip hop, we have to talk about the hip hop industry mm-hmm. and then we have to talk about the hip hop culture. Right. As far as the culture, hip hop has been the most diverse cultural expressive form the world has ever created. Hands down. They're rapping in Mumbai, Glasgow. They're rapping in Japan. You know what I'm saying? I dated a child in South Korea to a breakdancing competition. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, this is not a problem that we have in the streets because in the streets, it's your skill set, it's your ability to rock at your craft that, that really makes you like say something to Eminem. I dare you to say something to Eminem to a white dude who came up in the Detroit battle rap scene. Good luck. You know what I'm saying? You know, so I don't think that hip hop has had this problem. I do think that black people still hold the cards. You know what I'm saying? We have been at it. You know what I'm saying? But but I think in mainstream media. We look at who's winning Grammys, right? Yeah. For hip hop, right? You know, we talk about segregation. We talk about white powers and all this other stuff. Like a white rapper is going to have immediate support, just yeah. immediate support from white America. They're like, "Oh, we got one," you know what I'm saying? And yeah. then all of a sudden, Macklemore wins best rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how we know that that is not the culture right there. Because the culture would have put 85 million albums on point before they put Macklemore's album on. That's yeah. not. No shade to him. You know, he's a good rapper. He's a good artist. He's not a great rapper. He's not a great right. no, artist. Agree. Agree. Um, so when we look at the, the media, it's like, I almost don't even really want to pay that no mind. You know what I'm saying? They can, if people say, are you trying to change the industry? No, nah, they can keep that. You know what I'm saying? And they're going to do that anyway. And, you know, there's suburban, you know, white kids who are buying this horrible, you know, fictitious gangster rap. They're going to do what they do. They always want to rock out to narratives like that. My biggest goal is to make sure that as a culture, we own the means of production so we can start putting our best narratives out there. Because I want my young daughter to see the entire spectrum of women artists so she can choose who she'd like to be. She's already starting to rap. You know what I'm saying? So I'd like her to have a little bit more than just Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, and Meg Thee Stallion. You know what I'm saying? I'd like to see Rhapsody and No Name in there, Side Rock and some other people talking about you know, the worth of a woman in the society and what women have to deal with. I think those type of narratives are so important for us to just have. And the ideas that are going around our communities are the confines that our kids dream inside of. Right. So we think right. of three white corporations owning the confines with which our kids dream of and the confines with which our societies think about our kids. Woo! <laughs> That's scary. Right. How do we promote more independent artists, right? Like it's almost like you have to go looking for these people because to your point, they're not in the mainstream. They're not the people on the radio. They're not even the people that it's primarily why I really like TikTok because you get to meet artists there mm-hmm. rapping about stuff that you're not going to hear on the radio. Nobody's yeah. putting that out. And it's very conscious rap. It's conscious hip hop. Yeah. How do we support more independent artists who are not going to get radio play for their music. I got a radio show that I do on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 every Sunday, three-hour block. Yet this last Sunday, I played two and a half hours of local Bay Area women artists. I was just like, I you know, I just accidentally started doing it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep this women thing going for the next two hours. Y'all tune in. And halfway through, I was just like, yo, 
there's so many people that are like, hip-hop is bad, hip-hop is this, hip-hop is this, and hip-hop is that. And I'm like, yo, have you been to a local concert? Like, have you bought a $10 ticket? I mean, or do you just buy the $180 Beyonce ticket, you know, when she came out here? Because I go to 18 shows for that much money and see some of the dopest narratives. I love Beyonce. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want the bad. I'm about to say, you don't want the beehive to get you. You don't want the beehive to get you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but I think that's it. I think that, you know, hip-hop is a culture. You know, you have to engage in that. Carnival is a culture. You have to go to that. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, Halloween, that's culture. You got to go to that, dress up. Like, it's about investment. I invest in hip-hop because I love hip-hop. And I don't want to just get spoon-fed this crappy hip-hop online. I like to engage in hip-hop. So I like to go to b-boy competitions. And I like to, you know, go to these graffiti art mural festivals and things like that. Yeah. I put my money into black businesses. These are conscious choices, right? Yeah. So you know, sometimes I get pissed. I'm like, yo, people got to stop hating on my culture if they ain't going to see people. I ain't bought no CDs this year for some local artists that they took the time to search out. You know, and I'll give you a couple names. Sarah, S-A space R-O-C, the goddess. Another one, Ryan Nicole, amazing artist. Aaliyah, A-L-I-A, Sharif, S-H-A-R-I-E-F-F. You know, these are all artists out there. If you put them on your YouTube, new artists will start popping up through the algorithms yeah. and say, oh, I think they like local hip hop. So I understand. And I think it's okay to complain. I think it's okay to be angry, upset, to vent, to be frustrated. And I also don't want to say, you know, black people have to do anything because of this oppression. I don't like to do that. I'm not going to tell people to get vaccinated either, even though I'm a staunch advocate and I'm super boosted. But I, <laughs> I would hope that if people do not like the hip hop industry, that conversely, they're lifting up the hip hop culture and community by at least buying a couple albums every year, at least going to a couple shows in your city. That's how we get people on. Because these artists that I grew up with and came up with, they are struggling. I went to 38 states rapping and I'm still broke. You know what I'm saying? I did that off love, you know what I'm saying, off the strength. But if, if people had access to my narratives, maybe I wouldn't have had to struggle so hard while doing it. So there's artists out there. They're hungry. They deserve your money. They need that money to create, keep creating narratives. And if they keep creating those narratives, maybe our young kids will hear it and feel those ancestral drums through that music. Because if Absolutely. they don't hear that drum, those drums. Right. You know, what can you say? It's interesting because I want to touch on something that you said about the narrative. And I think that's where... You know, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast. There are different narratives. And with rap music, people associate rap music to a negative narrative, right? <laughs> and, you know, in Hip Hop for Change, in that title, it's change. Mm -hmm. So that means the music that you're creating has a different narrative. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Even our gangster rap has a different narrative. I mean, Audrey right. George said, if you're a part of an oppressed community, the very act of telling your story is resistance. Audrey Lord didn't say you have to have a nice story. And I said this in one of my other things. My cousin sells illicit substances on the street corner. He's not rapping about roses. All right. You know what I'm saying? He's storytelling. <laughs> yeah. He's also not his story. Yeah, he's not rapping within some fake mansion with, you know, right. paid models that he's pouring liquor on and objectifying. Like, he's rapping his story, and that's fine with me. You know what I'm saying? So when I talk about hip-hop for change, I talk about making sure that hip-hop is accessible to anybody who wants to tell their story. You know, mm -hmm. and there's only one rule in hip-hop. It's like, keep it real. So, you know, I remember when we controlled our culture, if somebody was faking the funk, so to speak, they would be excommunicated very fast, kind of like Millie Vanilli, you know what I'm saying? But now 
these artists in the industry, they're all lying. They're wearing fake gold jewelries and whatnot. And we have no power to, to uphold our cultural norms. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I think that's just it. It's like, I, I think the change that we're trying to make is to put the means of production back in the hands of the community. Now, with our studio, as long as you're not oppressing anybody, you know what I'm saying? We're not going to have people coming to our studios, getting free studio time, rapping about selling drugs to the community. So I don't want to say that we're going to uphold that because we've got enough of that. You know what I'm saying? But I don't want to invalidate those people with those narratives. You know, we talk about these kids that are rapping about killing black people. You know, I don't want to hate on those kids in Chicago unless you got an alternative $100,000 deal for them to get their mama out the projects that are dangerous and, and disgusting. So I do not want to devalue these kids first and foremost that are struggling to try to make it within, you know, colonialism and white genocide. You know what I'm saying? So let's not do that. I don't want to otherize our kids anymore. But I just see those kids as kids that haven't heard the real power of hip hop yet. You know what I'm saying? I used to gangbang every day. I used to rob people. I used to, you know, not know how to deal with my toxic masculinity or what masculinity was even for. But what helped me out is hearing some real hip hop for the first time. It blew my mind when I heard Black Star, Most Deaf, and Talib Kweli. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And that changed me overnight. So, yeah, we are trying to create hip hop for change. But I think the change is the systemic change. Yeah, I can care less. I don't really tell kids what to say in my class. But I do think there's this negative connotation. So I ask people all the time, have you seen a room full of second graders trying to rap battle? And and when I ask them that, everybody's like, oh, that must be so cute. They don't think, oh, rapping is negative. These kids must be rapping about killing people and smacking up women. And I usually, like, I teach K through 12. But I ask, have you seen a room full of second graders do that? Because when I ask that, even most white folks, they're like, oh, that must be so cute. Because they don't assign that pathology to right. that space. Like they right. would if I said, hey, you know, I teach a room right. full of uh, high schoolers to rap. They're like, oh, what are they rapping about? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I kind of- About life. It. High schoolers have life too. Like life is happening to all of us. All of us. And yeah, when yeah. we get in these classes and I, you know, we do this eight bar prompt for these kids, they rap about the most empowering things. You know what I'm saying? It's just a beautiful thing. So I think the more and more we can own our culture, the less and less people are going to ascribe pure pathology to what we do. Because hip hop is poetry that has a fealty to a four, four time signature predominantly. And that's yeah. it. And a lot of people, they might not like poetry, but they don't say, oh, I could, I could never do poetry. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But when people look at my culture, like, oh, I could never rap. And that's because people assume to rap, you have to like grab your genitals. You have to slouch. You have to think bad about women. And you have to think I'm the hottest stuff since sliced bread. And if I can't embody that space, I don't get to be a rapper. And I'm yeah. like, who taught you that was my culture, homie? You know what I'm saying? That's not yeah. who we are. That's not where we come from. You know what I'm saying? So we really have to take this game back to where people understand this is an art form. You know, yeah. it's an art form that all our kids are primed for in the hood. And I was talking to Dr. Jackson, the new president of the NEA. And, you know, I used to major in uh, minor in ceramic sculpture. I love sculpture. But sculpture is not going to save kids in the hood. You know what I'm saying? They're in band class teaching these kids William Tell's overture, acting like, why are they not falling in love with music? You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> A Baroque hymnals is going to get these young kids from the hood. Okay, cool. When we think about helping kids, we're not thinking of kids. We're thinking of kids that look like me. We're thinking of hip-hop kids, right? So why are we talking about art? Why are we talking about hip-hop? 
You know, I dressed down as this PTA for School of the Arts in San Francisco. I'm like, why aren't there turntables in band class? It's 2022. And you are teaching these kids Baroque hymnals and <laughs> get mad when they don't want to sit there in band class. What's going on? You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, you know, we also do a DNI class, a uh, course for companies that is rooted in the story of hip hop. Because when you talk about hip hop and you teach that, people get real mad why we don't own our culture and what's going on with the powers that be. And I don't even really have to talk about capitalism or white supremacy. You just have to tell the story of hip hop. And people are like, why are these corporations owning these people's narrative? They get really mad real easy because they kind of understand that when they take it out of that kind of tumultuous conversation of race, white supremacy and capitalism. You just talk about the human experience of yeah. black people trying to have voices. Anyone can identify with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Hip hop is poetry. Now I understand it as slam poetry, but mm -hmm. back in the islands, we just call it the spoken word poetry. So we would just get up on stage and perform. And I think now what I was talking about to music, it could be a complete rap. It is poetry. And I think the ability to storytell mm -hmm. is such a gift. And I don't think we honor that enough in our society, but storytell. You will take that same kid who can rap and storytell you drop that kid in a marketing firm and they create a marketing that's basically just storytelling. That's what hip hop and rap is. It's storytelling. It's taking you through an experience. That's what marketing is. Marketing is about grabbing your attention, then walking you through an experience of what this product is. It's no different with hip hop, I would say. And also, like, you know, I wouldn't hire somebody as a graphic designer unless they knew how to do graffiti. I just wouldn't do that, you know? Right. We could go down to, you know, these dance classes and they have urban dance, urban dance. Yeah, <laughs> like, ooh, right. sanitize, whitewash that, whitewash that blackness out of your dance company, right? But no, they're doing hip hop, you know what I'm saying? They're doing hip hop. And so it's really, it's really important to understand how ubiquitous the culture of hip hop has become. You know what I'm saying? Like they're playing trap music. You know, MSNBC goes to commercial now. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, is it? I think it's Ari. Is it Ari? Ari Melbourne. Ari Melbourne. Like, I think Ari right. Melbourne. I want to show. call that Friday. I try to hit him up. He has not responded back to me. So if anybody knows Ari Melbourne, you tell him to hit me up. All right. <laughs> you know, he, he owes hip hop a change at least five minutes on a segment now, brother. Yeah, he does. He does. Anybody yeah. knows Ari Melbourne, tag him. Tag him. Tell him I need to holler at that homie. But yeah. Uh, you know, hip hop. For the audience, can you let them know who he is? Ari Melbourne, MSNBC. Uh, yeah. He's a uh, maker, um, MSNBC. Yeah, I think he goes on at like, I forget, maybe like. I think he's at like, what, like five or six o'clock? On the West Coast, he's at one, I think. Oh, okay. I so yeah, uh, if he's at year one, he's four, between he's four, four and five o'clock here on and the And also East. Tiffany Cross and, and Joy Reid, please. Tiffany Cross, like, Joy Reid, yeah. They don't owe me nothing, but I would love two queens anyway. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> when we talk about hip hop, we talk about the five elements, breaking, rapping, graffiti art, DJing, and the fifth one being cultural knowledge. Important. Remember, it's hip hop. It's not stupid hop, right? Hip is the knowledge. Hop is the movement of that knowledge through artistic, creative forms, you know, whether it be like my background right here, right? Basquiat, that's hip hop, right? And I think a lot of times when people think of hip Basquiat, they don't think of hip hop. That man is one of the greatest graffiti artists we've ever had. So we have to tell these people who we are, what we do, and everybody and walks embody it. Yeah, that's why I don't. I never put a suit on no more. I was just, you know, talking at the New York Stock Exchange with my gold grill and my N white supremacy shirt with a fist up, like yeah. Uh, shout out to Vince Molinari for letting me do that, man. But we have to normalize our culture. 
You know what I'm saying? Like everybody who works in hip hop for change, I get a gold grill after three months of working with us. I had this lady, this white lady, I was talking to her. We do grassroots organizing. So we have about 50,000 conversations in white communities every year. We're built off a grassroots street team model. That's where we get about 80% of our funding. And so I let her say, yo, I've never heard anybody speak so well <laughs> wearing one of the. <laughs> I've never heard somebody speak so eloquently wearing one of those grills. Why do you wear that? I was like, oh, my God. Now, this lady's wearing a diamond necklace, diamond earring, gold earrings, tennis bracelet. And I was just like, I was like, why do you wear that? And she was like, as soon as I said that, she got it instantly. She was like, oh, she was like, oh, yeah. Oh, OK. I'm like, yeah, yeah so you're assigning pathology to my cultural like jewelry instead of signing pathology to your blood diamonds. You know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> you said it. <laughs> you know? Yep. And that's just it because if we're going to talk about pathology and who's most responsible for it, you know, I don't think they should be sprayed of me. You know what I'm saying? We talk about a lot of people grabbing their women while they pass me. It's not men like us, you know, for the most part. Uh, if we look at FBI stats, homies, all right? But I think that's it. I think, number one, I really have no hope for white America. I really have no hope for U.S. hegemony. You know, we just lost the, the right for, you know, body autonomy. You know what I'm saying? And if white women can't protect Roe versus Wade, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I don't know what to do. So people ask me if I'm hopeful. I am not. I'm not a betting man. And after 400 years, I'm not betting on hope. I, I just can't. But what I can bet on is that it's I can change. Work. <laughs> uh, things are going to change. Change is constant. Change is constant. I'm not betting on what kind of change we got coming. Change is going to come. I know whoa, change is going to come. But, uh, <laughs> what I can bet on is that if I work with these young homies, they'll be able to stand on their, their feet a little stronger, whether they have to die or not. You know what I'm saying? I can't promise them life. But what yeah. I can do is I can show them the, the keys to their history, their strength, their inner value, and their, their power for creation. A lot of our kids don't think that they're talented until they start getting with me. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And then they start doing something. They're like, oh, I like this. And two years later, they're breakdancing and they're vegan and they're talking about proprioception and neuromuscular junctions and body health and wellness. And now they got two, three little homies they're mentoring. That's just how it works. And now uh, the narrative is changing. Yeah, right. You know? saying. Yeah, yeah, it's just really important. This is how we move ideas. You know, we move ideas through our culture and all our kids, again, all our kids in the hood are primed for hip hop. Most of our suburban kids are primed for hip hop too. You know what I'm saying? And if, if we have these young girls and boys who who are wearing three, three striped Adidas, you know what I'm saying? They're wearing their hats like this and whatnot. But half of them I say, you like hip hop? They're like, oh, I don't listen to that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh man. That breaks my heart, you know what I'm saying? Because they can't even exalt their own culture within themselves, right? Mm. You know, they, they want to dress up, they want to look, they want to have me fly, but they literally think that they come from pathology. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's been a long time in this nation's history that black and brown people have to think that we're less than, just like my young niece thought her skin was burnt. Burnt. Thank you so much for spreading the word and using your voice and helping other youths use their voice to be able to create their own stories and how they feel you know so i really hope all of you enjoyed profoundly this conversation as we reach the top of the diversity connects us hour i want you to be extremely encouraged and empowered to reach out to caffrey and tammy on linkedin as you all heard thank you so much for all the information you shared it was such a pleasure to have you 
This podcast always highlights lived experiences and inspirational stories of strength and tenacity. We share profound and courageous dialogues that influence DEI by breaking the barriers and stereotypes, confronting biases and offering best practices to achieve a more significant cultural mindset. Caffrey and Tammy, it's been such a pleasure to have this amazing conversation with you. We're going to need a part two. <laughs> I know I'm always down. I'm Caffrey's always down. I just got to Caffrey, listen, show up Friday this time, be on camera. And he's like, I'm there, sister. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. Thank you so much. Sir. Thank you, Caffrey. It was awesome. It was. Yeah.